Hey there, welcome to episode 10 on this May 3rd, 2023 of the Cafe Genius Impresarios podcast. Today we are joined with my favorite national ecosystem author, researcher, and report author. I said author already, but it's that's how important it is. Good writer, good words, worth reading. Hope you do. Mo Collins, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, the, I cannot emphasize enough the report which we will be talking about. You should give it a read if you're listening right now. Stop what you're doing. Read it. All 100 pages. Read it twice. Then come back. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a slog. It's a bit of a slog. Uh, there's a couple of sections that maybe repeat. I, I read about deal room a couple times and whatnot, but still worthwhile because this is a person who has taken a serious look at the ecosystem of Nevada. So, uh, but yes, welcome to Mo, Mo Collins. Uh, what, what, what's goes on? You're in Des Moines, Iowa. I'll start there. Who most is Mo times. Collins? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, you're, most you gotta times live, in, you gotta live somewhere. Time. I do. Yeah. I do. I live in Des Moines, um, born and raised, uh, in the Midwest, um, I split my time between Des Moines and then um, I used to split it between Des Moines and Sanibel, Florida. But Ian kind of put a damper on those opportunities, as I'm sure you're aware. Or maybe yeah. you're not. I, we had a big hurricane and um, it took out the most beautiful island paradise, um, as far as I'm concerned, in the world. So um, I've been grouchy all winter, as you can imagine. So I was ecstatic to spend some time in Nevada, first in Reno then in Las Vegas over the course of this winter, doing something a little different um, and getting to meet all the folks that I did and all the innovators I had the opportunity to encounter um, in support of this project. Uh, so what, uh, I, I think it was called the Nevada Project or Project Nevada, but tell, and as part of it was what you did. So tell, what is the project? So the project are, is, yeah. sure. So what it came down to is GoEd worked through EDON um, with a desire to do an assessment of the state. And this was a, this was a complicated project, I'll be frank, in part because first uh, there was the need for a statewide assessment of the ecosystem. So what's happening in Nevada overall? How do we rank as compared to other states? What level of innovation is occurring? How quickly are we transitioning to an innovation tech-led economy? And then um, they also wanted then secondarily a look at uh, Reno, a look at Las Vegas, and then all-encompassing a look at everywhere else, all of the rural regions in the state. And of course, they're all unique. They're all different. Um, they all have different assets. Um, and so we literally ended up with uh, four 25 to 30-page ecosystem assessments, which is why it's a bit of a slog, which is why you saw some things um, and some content that might be repeated a bit is, is so, that, so that it could be pulled out and utilized in one of its four parts as a standalone sure. if, if needed. Because who wants to slog through a 104-page report, right? Uh, at least two people. Yeah, you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, I have talked to one other person, Evelyn, if you're listening. Uh, she read the whole thing, at least one. And she's a, she takes notes on things. So that was really interesting nice. to, to see what she pulled out of it. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, but you did not mention Entrepreneurial Communities LLC. So what, like, well, how often do you, uh, how often do you do this sort of thing? So um, I served in a university for almost 20 years, 17 years to be exact, um, in a variety of capacities, mostly working on building an ecosystem. Um, back in the day before we even had the term, and I know we're going to argue about it later, but before we had the term ecosystems, um, entrepreneurial ecosystems, 
um, we were building things in my state and in the surrounding states when I was at the university, trying to figure out how do we find and harness and create the magic that entrepreneurs alone can create. I left sure. in 2014 in part because I was a bit bored. Um, my life was becoming a bit more tied to meetings and staffing and, um, you know, sitting in offices in the president's office talking about, you know, appropriations wasn't really my bag. And so I resigned three times, third time it, it stuck. And I started a small consultancy called Entrepreneurial Communities. And my goal was to reach out to states, cities, even rural communities, where there was an interest and understanding of what was coming and help them to harness the energy and magic of the entrepreneurs in their communities. I build capacity for city leaders, mayors, elected officials, um, champions across the board. And on the other side of the fence, um, we built teams that would deliver services, um, mostly um, tech-led economic development services to entrepreneurs, people who maybe were in traditional industries like manufacturing or some kind of service business that needed to um, reinvent themselves to compete in a global sure. economy. So um, mostly what I do now, which is almost 10 years later, is uh, I do ecosystem assessments, such as what I did for the state of Nevada. Um, I do a little bit of survey work. I do a lot of um, capacity building training. And uh, I work in about 15 states. And that is what Entrepreneurial Communities does. I think, I think what sets us apart, though, and probably the thing that I'm the most proud of, is um, I'm a sole member LLC. And so for every project that we do, we build a team. I have 92 people um, that I have come to know over the course of my career that are excel excellent in their space. And I draw a custom team for every project of people that support with research, with data, with um, you know, crafting the message, with analyzing the message. And then tied to that, we also build national roundtables. So for Nevada, for example, we selected 10 people from across the country who convened with us uh, this time, I think it was February 3rd and 4th, and two day, over two days. In and 2023. Everything, yeah, everything this year, everything yeah. that we had assembled around Nevada from Las Vegas to Reno to the state to what was happening in Eli and Elko. And we brought this round table together and said, what do you think? This is what we think. What do you think? Um, what do we miss? Where are the opportunities? Where are some challenges that need to be addressed? And so based on our expertise, plus the people who are on the ground doing this good work um, across the country, we brought together um, the set of recommendations that are in front of you now. Right. So um, it's kind of an interesting business model. It works really well for us. And it gives us the capacity to be able to deliver projects um, at this scale that allow for really terrific forward thinking outcomes. Uh, that, that's cool. Are, are you familiar with the tiger team concept? Have you ever heard that term? No. Tell me what that means. So the tiger team, if you, you I'm, I think there's a Wikipedia page on it, which is okay. a reasonable right. starting point, but the a tiger team in general, it, it, it has an origin. I think it was, it was kind of the red team, blue team stuff, or how do you, how do you, uh, how do you tackle certain problems? And so, but basically a tiger team is you take, rather than focusing on a, a particular team of like an established project team or product team, like, oh, we'll just send it over to the, that group in our company. Tiger mm -hmm. team is like, let's take one or two people from each kind of little vertical that we might need, put them together in a little ragtag, uh, you know, yep. thrown together and you kind yep. of work horizontally across different verticals. So when I was with, with Intel, 
I was the team of one. So I, I, uh, I can resonate with that. And I would just travel. I'd book my own travel. I'd be traveling around, going to different here and there and got to know people on an individual one-on-one basis. And so A, I knew what different vertical groups, little empires, if you will, what they were doing, but it also made it a little bit easier to say, oh, you need to talk to that person. I will, let me, let me introduce you real quick. Cause Intel at the time, hundred thousand people or so, nobody knew anybody else. They just knew who was in their little fiefdom. So, <laughs> sure, the, sure. Uh, so I, the, I didn't have a tiger team title or it wasn't like a formal thing, but, it, and some companies do assemble tiger teams. Sometimes you'll even hire a team of people that are specifically horizontal if you're doing mm-hmm. vertical orgs. And it really makes it easy. You you have to be completely comfortable being cross-functional. You have to know how to sort of dive into things you don't quite understand yet, how to yeah. identify and maybe like, okay, maybe you should take this part and I'll take that part. But I think it's super valuable to get people outside the box to think or to look through things like a different perspective. If you want to do the, the classic elephant identity problem, right? The tiger team is not going to say, oh, all the time I spend identifying trunks. So this must be, you know, it's, you, you escape that and you, <laughs> I, think, you, so you I think they go ahead. yeah I, I really like that idea I think I think that makes sense um I think from my perspective the, the biggest challenge I always face is there's there's no ownership so I can't own the process right I have and to the, be open and our team needs to be confident that they can state things that I disagree with right or and push the boundaries of what's possible in a way that and I think that's how we get to the better outcomes. Right. So, so in, in my example, I was able to say or, or do or connect, but I was not really, so I wasn't, I wasn't stepping on any, uh, empire building toes. Cause I'm just some, some person from another group yeah, and I'm, yeah. you know, Hey, you need to talk about this and we should do that. And, but, uh, you know, that's your, so I'm not claiming responsibility and I'm not dry. I don't have a budget to drive things, but you can, you can speak freely uh, which I did. sounds like you, so it sounds a similar idea. Similar. I think it's, uh, yeah. Similar. I'm glad that it has a name. Yeah, well, I mean that's one name. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it's not a novel uh, idea, basically, but it it no, does work in this well, case. I mean, your yeah, your implementation is is fine, and it's probably it's outside of the normal thinking, right? It, like, oh, mm-hmm. we we already have an agency, or we already have the some urban development and business. You know, all, sometimes there's the infrastructure thinking is, oh, we have a group that does that, and you're like, yeah, but they do the same thing every year, or they they have a a an established viewpoint, just like the elephant thing, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you bring in uh, another term, is the HPCs, the highly paid consultants? <laughs> Ouch! You don't, you don't have to comment on that. No, but that I, well, yeah, I'm not going to. <laughs> it's a real thing, right? We'll we'll, we'll have an outside group. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's nice. I think that's more traditional thinking. But a tiger team is when you think about it and you look at how how it functions, you're like, oh, okay, that that's more realistic. It's 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 a genuine attempt to look at things a different way and make connections that would not otherwise happen because of vertical yeah. segmentation and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, Reno and, and uh, you know, Southern, Northern and Southern Nevada, Reno, Vegas, other places, Clark County, Wausau County. It's, they, it's very easy to say, oh, they're two separate places. I've tried to reach out to Reno, don't really get much response. I know Josh Levitt, who I'm sure we'll talk about eventually today, uh, has has an event there called Tech Alley in Reno, he Tech does. Alley in Vegas. They mm-hmm. very rarely cross pollinate. It's been a different event, so there's a lot of differences. And so a tiger, so like Josh could be considered a part of a tiger team, right? Because he kind of makes that little bridge happen. Nice, nice. So, you know, and I, I did, I did to your point, Dan. I did hear that a lot at first. That yeah. there's a there's a real cultural and not just a physical um, distance between Vegas and Reno, but there's a lot of cultural. Um, 
almost walls um, between the two regions. And yet, as we delved in, we found that there were a lot of similarities um, culturally that um, just need to be cross pollinated. So to your point, um, I think I think there's some real move room there for some changes along those lines. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, I, I have yeah. personally have not been, no, well, I haven't been to, <laughs> okay. I can't wait, 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 no, I can't speak. I have not been to, I, well, my re- response was because I really haven't been to Reno in a long time, many years before I moved to Vegas. Well, now we got to change that. Now we right. gotta change. So, so right, I can right. only, I can only agree, but I'm, as I was saying, I was like, I, I really don't, I, because I've received zero positive response. Cause I was like, Hey, we should, we have code for Vegas. There should be code for Reno, which there was hack for Reno. Nice. Um, but, yeah. but that person was basically anti code for Vegas, like proactively oh, disinterested. I was not, I was not happy about that. I continued my, I was trying to reach out to other people. I said, Hey, Josh, can you, can you help with this connection? He's like, oh, I don't know. Oh. It's a really, well, no, no, no. He would, he would happily facilitate a connection, but he's like, I don't even know who to talk to. Cause it's, I get a lot of pushback from that person. <laughs> like oh, that person nice. seems to be very anti bridging and, and reaching out. And so, oh. uh, Unfor- well, for for better or worse, Code for America has pulled support for brigades and Hack for Vegas. I'm sorry, Hack <laughs> Hack for Reno was a Code for America brigade, and Code for Vegas, beca- be- being the rebels, the real rebels, uh, we formed a, a independent. We reformed an independent. It was originally a brigade, but Code for Vegas, and then now Innovate for Vegas Foundation is a completely independent 501c3. Oh, got it. Okay, and that's what you're running. S- yes. So, uh, okay. but. But we did we did try to make it a statewide sort of collab. Like, hey, we you know we're all okay. We're all and the Dan, you know, you know, I'm yeah. gonna you know I'm gonna call you out on that. Okay. You know, one of the things that I used to hear all the time when I was younger, and I was trying to do capacity building in communities and cities, is I'd sit down with a bunch of. Um, Let's see. This is a podcast. Can I say this? I would sit down with a, m- a bunch of very established individuals. How's that? Um, in a community, and they would say, um, "Well, we we we've always done it this way," or "We tried that and it didn't work." And so, so my take on that is, we got to try over and over and over until we get some wins. Yes. And then once we get wins, we change minds. Once we change minds, we change culture. And so, um, I think I think there's a lot of value. And inter- integrating what's happening in Las, Las Vegas and, and in uh, Reno, although we don't talk about that a lot in the report, as I'm sure you saw. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a weird. It's sort of like trying to be a matchmaker, right? Like you guys really should go out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, maybe nice now. Counter. Nice now, counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do. I I mean, okay. First of all, I don't get up to Reno as much. My um, I have a lot of work to do here. I should go, you know, Josh is like, yeah, you should come up sometime. And I, I'm not anti, so that's totally fine. Okay, but, good. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I would go there tomorrow. That's, uh, I, I had a nice picture of their bridge. There's a, I can't remember the name of the bridge, but there's a, there's a very lovely picture and I have a picture of a hand with outreach, like we should work together. And I got nothing. <laughs> um, but, but I just went on to other people and I have this mantra, mm-hmm. like if something gets in your way, go around and they will catch right. up to you or they won't. But I, I don't right. really tolerate people that are, are stonewalling. So yeah, I, I stopped worrying about that. And um, so I just need to meet more people in Reno, like personally. I you know I I just my, my I, I guess that we didn't record this part, but <laughs> my trip yeah. to Ireland was to make friends, right? Yeah. Uh, so I've I've talked about this other times previously and whatnot. But I, when I worked for Intel, job one, go to Ireland, make friends, uh, mend fences. I want and, that uh, job. 
not men fences. That was, that implies separation. Uh, but men friendships, definitely. Uh, nice. yeah, I wanted that job too, which I, I was, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had, oh, but yeah. it was literally go there and make sure we can all work together, which I think I accomplished that. Although I made better friends than I did for within the company. It was personally, but, but the you take know, home you is like, you have to go, go ahead. You have to go there. You have to go, you have to go meet in person. There's no yeah. real substitute for that. And I think Josh is doing a nice job of that. Yeah. He's, he's very open. He's very inclusive. At every juncture when I interviewed him or I attended an event that he hosted, there was, you know, a dedication, an action-oriented zeal for being inclusive. And I think that's really important. And he does it in Vegas and he does it in Reno. Yes. And it's it's hard to it's hard to you can't make people be include you can't make them participate no, no. in inclusion, right? So you kind of have right. to lower the bar and hope for the best. And, uh, and he does emphasize the tech and <clears throat> the interesting thing is I, one, uh, one time that comes to mind, uh, a parent called me <clears throat> yeah. and said, uh, my son wants to go to tech alley. He's in high school. Uh, cool. it's host, it's held at a bar in, in Vegas. It's held at a bar. Is this going to be like a bunch of adults passing around business cards? And I said, no, that's not what it is. So I described <laughs> it. And his son and and I said you should come too. And so the two of them showed up, and he's like, "Oh, thanks." So now I see what's going on. And um, oh, nice. I said, Josh, a hopefully I did it. You know, I represented your thing appropriately. I tried to, but two, that if you've ever done quality assurance for anything, from taste the sauce or the pasta to developing a complete software platform, you should ask your users, and if they tell you what there's a pro, you know, like a bug, you should fix it. So I said. The fact that you're trying to be inclusive, but this parent thought that this was a, you know, hanging out at a bar event means maybe some messaging. So I, we, we had a meeting with the the president of the Southern Nevada chapter of uh, junior achievement. Uh, I do every event I do is any age friendly. So I try, so I'm, I'm always trying to encourage any age inclusion. Wait, wait, wait. What's that mean? What's that mean? Any age means, uh, if you, if you picture the classic, uh, amusement park ride, you do not need to be this old to be innovative. <laughs> what does any age stand for? Any age, any, you can be any age. You don't oh, have to be 21. Any age. Or yeah, I thought you sorry. said N-E-H. I oh, apologize. No, okay. no. Any age. All right. Got it. Got any it. age. Nice. So we, Las Vegas, we do tend to think 21. Let's have a happy hour. Let's have a, let's yeah, have shots. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have literally made noise on, you know, the usual places like this. You're celebrating tech innovation at an event that is 21 and older. Yeah. You see a problem with it? And they're like, oh, wow, we, that was our mistake. It's 18 and older. And I was like, still not quite right. <laughs> and, you know, when I attended the tech, uh, tech alley in Las Vegas, there were a wide array of high school kids there, including a bunch of girls. Yes. And it was, uh, it was, that's the first time I have been to an event like this anywhere where there was an abundance of youth like that. And I think that speaks loads. It's improving. Um, yeah, it's improving mm-hmm. that I would, I can't remember. I could probably pull it up as a calendar thing, but I, the meeting that we had with uh, Michelle Jackson is the CEO or president of uh, junior achievement and junior uh-huh. achievement. Their mission is, you know, youth entrepreneurialism and, and, you know, Yep, I'm thinking outside the box. So yeah, so yep. so that seemed appropriate. She was happy to be uh, supportive and and participate in some way, but that really requires attention because this is Las Vegas, and 
Yeah. You need yeah. you need to have uh, continuous engagement on things. So I I have not given up. I volunteered for various junior achievement events. I always tell people, you know, we have my other my. <laughs> I work on things 24 hours a day and then at night I do other things. And so <laughs> Innovate for Vegas, I always say, hey, anybody who wants to work on a hackathon, any age, any, you can be, just bring your parents if you want, you know, whatever. Yeah. If you're, if you're 100 yeah. years old, bring your mom, bring your dad, whatever. But the take home is like, in my travels for Intel, I went to 47 hackathons as a mentor slash co-organizer, depending on which one. Uh, we had a reality show called America's Greatest Makers. One of my teams that I was a mentor for was a single solo uh, developer. Her name is Diana. She was 15. She was on TV. She had her idea. I'm not going to surprise anyone listening. She's at MIT right now. I think she's a senior. So wow. a brilliant wow. young person. Now, if we had said, oh, sorry, you have to be 21. That would have right. been a, a massive loss for the universe. Right. right? right. It's on par. Yeah. It's on par with saying like, oh, women can't code. You know, all these stupid notions of pre-assigning and pre-judging. So anybody who's uh, if you can do things, you should be enabled to do more things if you want. You know, the Lego letter I've referred to in other shows, you know, hey, these toys are built for creation and, and innovation and, and creativity. Don't assign limitations to young people. I'm summarizing and paraphrasing it. Yep. Um, no, yeah. Don't say, oh, you're I'll a little agree. girl. You should play with dolls, not Legos, that kind of thing. Right. Well, let me, let me jump on that. Let me jump on Absolutely. that for just a minute. Please do. One of, the, one of the challenges in early ecosystem building across the country was that most of the initial innovation and idea generation, things from bar camps to even co-working spaces to hackathons, startup weekends, were all started by, um, and I'll be, I'll be really blunt, you know, white, English-speaking, college-educated college American men. And so the culture the programs were designed to be really effective within that group. And a lot of people, women, minorities, kids, um, people that didn't have those schedules, didn't have the ability to go to, say, a startup weekend for 48 hours nonstop, sure. were left out. Um, and so that created this cultural chasm that we're only now starting to build bridges over. And one of the things that I saw in Las Vegas was a, a, a real openness to anyone, come on, come all. There wasn't, um, I didn't see a lot of the barriers that I see in some other cities where there's been a lot of ecosystem activity occurring. And I think that was a big plus for me. And I think part of the reason for that is that it's such a multicultural city to begin with, with more than 14 languages that are spoken with people that are in and out of the community, at least before the pandemic, you know, millions sure. of people. Two million, two and a half million, something like that. Um, we're coming in and out of the out of the city every year. You know, there's a forced integration that occurs. There's a forced diversification that occurs, and I think it speaks to one of the key assets of Las Vegas in building a culturally global ecosystem is that set of acceptance based upon the fact that so many people already from different cultures, using different languages, with different perspectives, that call this place home. All points taken, and I, I agree. Except, for, I, I, well, are no, you going to no. be accepting all morning, or were you? No, gonna... no, no, no. Well, I'll, I'll push back a all little right. bit because all I right. think okay. because Tell me you, why. you use the word integration, and I will suggest that that is easier said than done, and I don't think it's done nearly as much as um, you, you might say it. So, okay, Tell uh, me why. I will. I will say first of all, to fourteen languages, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. 
the census suggests that two languages are spoken by most people here. And so most services, most services mm -hmm. are aimed at English and Spanish in that order. So let's take our first project for, and I'm cross-pollinating with my Innovate for Vegas stuff, but our first project started one year ago and I'm still working on it because that's another story we can get into about volunteer uh, follow through, but I'm, I'm in, I'm infinite gaming it. So the, the city and an agency such as RTC, they support English and Spanish. And okay. I've, I've communicated with people at RTC because I talk to them more than most passengers probably do. <laughs> I said, Hey, English and Spanish are great, but I, because I'm so me, I guess I've helped people in, uh, they're speaking Polish and German and Japanese and, and, uh, you know, who knows what else I'm pointing at maps and I'm trying to point, you know, give direct I'm speaking very loudly and slowly as we're supposed to do. Right. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was a joke, just jokes. But, that was terrible. Keep going. <laughs> no, but seriously, I literally will, uh, I'll almost miss my bus because it's, I'm like, you know what? I've been in other countries and people have been nothing but helpful. And it's the, I think it's the least you can do is like, Hey, I'm just trying to get to the thing. And if you don't speak English, you know, they're pointing and they're like shrugging and we work it out. You just have to say, I am going to help you. And you deal with the language parts later. But the take home yeah. is that yeah. in the internet of the 21st century, Every who doesn't have a translation service at this point? Who doesn't offer you know touch the button? Oh, the, the UI Why on earth is our transit system, for example, not universally uh, translatable? Because you have to take some time. Two things: you have to make it internationalizable and localizable. So that means you build things so that they can be translated, especially automatically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not accessible. So you, there's a whole why ARIA standard for making things accessible. So we should be language sensitive. We should be accessibility uh, sensitive. Sure. We are Absolutely. Not. I don't disagree so, with you. However, I don't disagree with you. And I, there's so much work to be done and, sure. and I, you know, don't even begin to try to diminish that. Um, but I will say my lens was around the ecosystem and around entrepreneurship and, you know, the entire stack and if you, if you actually, if you break out the stack in Las Vegas and you look at the smallest, youngest, tiniest companies, the micro enterprises, the ones that we tend to, um, as a rule, we don't place as much value in, um, the amount of, of languages that are spoken. I attended so many events where um, I, had, I, didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know the language at all. And I had to work through translators and it was empowering. It was frightening. It was empowering. And it was such a good lesson in how... Um, you know, how we need to do a better job, to your point, of finding ways to make things accessible and finding ways to communicate things that are needed, including peer learning, so that everyone can participate in the economy and everyone can be a part of yes. what's happening in the ecosystem in Las Vegas. So, yes, I agree with you. Um, but when I compare what's happening in Vegas to places like even Nashville, or, um, gosh, even Kansas City. I shouldn't say that. I'm probably getting yelled at. Um, I, see, I see a night and day difference. And so from your perspective, yes, there's so much that needs to be done. From my perspective, you're, you're, doing, you're doing okay. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think part of the, the upside to where, whatever progress has been made here, or not, well, the upside of having the progress is that because of the tourism, the visitation rate from people uh, from elsewhere, you do have exposure to and and cultural crossover with people from all over yeah so so i used to tell people uh like in silicon valley when i was there there was similarly there were people from all over 
a lot oh, of language man. I spoke. And oh, yeah. There would be people, uh, including people very close to me, who would be embarrassed by, like, oh, I don't speak English as well as everybody else. And I said, yes, but you speak better English than a lot of people I know here. You have made the effort. You have you can communicate with people and they can't communicate with you. They don't speak your language. You've made the effort to speak ours. And so uh, yeah, that is, yeah. I think if we continue down that path, if that's the thinking here, like, you know, there's a lot of people from a lot of different places. If we can accept the fact that they don't speak perfect English and that we don't speak their language, so they win, they've put in the real effort. If we can acknowledge that and, and, and make use of that, then that's great. And yeah, it's, it, it happens. And as I will say frequently, that's a good start. So as long as we don't say we're done. Then, you know, yeah. ecosystem, and you know this, I'm just repeating something I know you're going to say. <laughs> it, it's, it's a long game. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't yeah. happen. You know, it, it's decades of work. And so, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And um, there is, there, there's just so much here to celebrate. Um, and there are some downsides. I'm, I'm a very optimistic person, however, and I was really taken by the kind of innovation that's occurring in Las Vegas. And moreover, I have to be honest, um, the people like you, like Josh, like uh, Jamie, like uh, Heather and oh my gosh, just Kurt, all the people that I met who were so passionate, Jimmy Jacobson, who are so passionate about seeing things happen in Las Vegas, were stepping forward. Um, as you and I spoke before the show began about um, not not necessarily expecting anything in return, but giving to the better the better good, the broader good of the ecosystem in Las Vegas. I heard that every day, every day, every day, and that isn't always the case. Uh, yes, uh, well, I don't know if you heard me inhale there. I'm ready. I'm ready to, for a for a, a response. <laughs> <laughs> Clear your calendars. I'm going to start talking. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I, it it isn't, it is a long game. Uh, I am fond of the, the, the original quote is about planting trees and shade and whatnot, but the, the, the the adaptation, you know, the second best time is now for anything. Right. So our ecosystem should be, you know, Las Vegas was kind of founded in the thirties around gambling and crime and uh, I'm from New Jersey. So I think some of my family was out here for that, but Uh. (laughs) But the, uh, I know one of my cousins is like, hey, Danny, you're in Vegas? You want to run some numbers? But uh, anyway, <laughs> you still do that? Really? The internet? No? Anyway, so. so I don't uh, know. That's a really good question. I, I'll ask him. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, uh, so there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of stuff going on here. That's true. You've touched on several points. So the people that you mentioned, I will, uh, I will say that Jamie Schwartz is absolutely an asset to this. She's a native. Uh, we had a really nice uh, episode uh, before this one, two weeks ago, I think it was. Uh, nice. If you haven't listened to that, listen. Um, totally fascinating. And I really, she's very smart, very, extremely smart. That comes across yeah. anytime you talk to her in person. I think people yeah. that only know her, I don't mean to turn this into a big fan club thing, but I really do think she is uh, worth getting to know. If she responds to your emails, so much the better. Good for you. But <laughs> I, I give her a hard time for that all the time. She is super busy. The problem with Jamie, and it's not her problem at all, the quote, do you know Jamie Schwartz, is uttered. It's on the lips of every person here. When Oh, I'm, a, I'm new to town. I'm, I'm a building. A, I'm trying to do a startup. Do you know Jamie Schwartz? So mm-hmm. I've talked to her about this specifically. You need a, a, about 25 people around you an- answering emails because <laughs> you can't so can be. I, can I jump in there? Sure. 
So we believe that that's a basic premise of ecosystem building. Um, and I'll, I'll share just a quick story with you about Reno, if I might. Um, when I came into Reno, one of the things I found was a really strong core of innovators and a lot of really vibrant activity in their ecosystem. But on the, on the downside, there's maybe two champions, people who are, do you know? And one of them um, is Doug Irwin at Edon. And the Kaufman Foundation has even acknowledged Doug as one of the nation's best ecosystem builders because he's a connector like Jamie. And what we know, the bigger the city, the more connectors you need, the more champions you need. Sure. So instead of just Doug in Reno, we need some women. We need some black women. We need some old people. We, we need some people that are connected in with capital really tightly that can connect others. And really strong ecosystems are built that way. And what's fascinating about Las Vegas is that the best champions, excepting Jamie and a few others, the best champions in this ecosystem are coming from the entrepreneurial community itself. So people yeah. like you, people like Jimmy Jacobson, people um, who are on the fringes, they're doing their own good work, building their own initiatives. And at the same time, they're putting in the time and the energy they're showing up, as we said earlier, to support and to bring in others to the ecosystem and make sure they get what they need. Um, and that doesn't always happen. So that that's also another positive thing. You notice I'm yeah. sliding in all my key points. <laughs> How am I doing? How am I doing? <laughs> oh no, you're yeah. Well, I mean, you you. <laughs> it's like it, <clears throat> like interviewing the author of anything. Like you sorry. just wrote the book. No, no. Like sorry. Like I always say, when when uh, people who get nervous making a presentation, they get up in front of a crowd and they're like, oh, you know, flop sweating and and, and nervous shaking. And I'm like, just remember this you know more than they do. They are there really? to listen to you. And whatever you say is right, essentially, right? You, yeah, they'll maybe argue with the waiter about their- It depends on whether Dan's in the room or not. You know, <laughs> I gotta, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind watching out. Been, I'm watching out, Dan. I No, come on. This is, uh, I, have, I'm teasing. I, have a, I have a whole stack of softballs here, ready to go. No, so the- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we'll get to the we'll get to the point. And I, okay. uh, if anybody's curious, I'm not going to be like, "Are you crazy?" But there's a couple can, things. Well, yes. but there's a couple I'm things where, and, it, and it's most it's me. mostly because of perspective. But but first, okay. uh, first we need to define what an entrepreneurial ecosystem is. Before that, I'm going to give a shout out to Della Rucker because Della Rucker is doing a ton of stuff with with uh, entrepreneurial communities and ecosystem and analyzing them. And she's trying to build a, mod a more modern playbook. If you look at the Kaufman website, there's there's some older editions. I think you make a reference to 2016, 2018. So she's she's working on trying to you know kind of put together a, a modern in, uh, take, like an updated yeah. edition of, a, of an entrepreneurial ecosystem playbook. She's very focused on underserved communities because to your point, people like me get all the attention and we should not. There's a lot, no, I, I would say, if you- no, 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 no. You should. There should be equal attention. But I was about to say, if you discount yeah, half of your population's be. good ideas, then you're you're. That's not sustainable. So everybody, right. everybody right. with an idea it doesn't matter. You know, any of the normal identities, right? It should be. Oh, you have a good idea. Please let's hear come it. In. Yep, yep. Good for you. Okay. So Dell is working on that. Where so she she was around. She was proximal to the downtown project. So she's excited to include Las Vegas. So the down. Uh, the, sorry, the Genius Roundtable, and the downtown project retrospective, which she's a part of. Uh, also, I have a little core team of uh, starters to do some organic outreach. So yeah, so all these things will kind of come together. I should talk to uh, Doug Irwin, was it? Mm -hmm. 
I should uh, should reach out to him. Maybe he's my contact in Reno if I couldn't. Get oh, he's a, a good contact. Yep, he's a I good will, contact. I will do that. And and uh, as it happened, so yeah, Jamie Jamie Schwartz, amazing. Uh, I've I've referred to her as a celebrity. She doesn't like that, which makes her even more of a celebrity. <laughs> I'm not a celebrity. I'm like, uh, unfortunately, you are. Uh, ask everybody; they know. But but to your point, yes, uh, having champions and people and credible champions. She's no. She is. I can't say, I, I, I don't want to be a gushy, uh, <laughs> I did not ask boy. for her autograph. You're a fanboy. <laughs> I didn't ask for her autograph, but it, I think she's just so impressive. I think she absolutely, mm-hmm. to your point, I mean, she is an asset. If, if she were to disappear, there'd be a lot of, uh, a lot of tables would fall over, right? She's one of the essential right. legs on a lot of tables, I think. So, right. uh, so great. Uh, I'm glad I met her. The, the re- <laughs> There's a there's a whole tract of discussion we could have about the clinic thing that I started with UNLV when I first moved here to get a connection between the downtown project and the students. Uh, I worked with Zach Miles. I don't know if you had a chance to meet with him. He has recently I did. returned. He's so, amazingly smart. Yes. So I met Zach. We put together the clinic program. Uh, UNLV didn't really know what to make of it. Now, very different place. I've had this conversation yeah. with Jamie. She was like, oh, that. I said, no, but... <laughs> And she, I mean, she, we, she was kind of kidding, uh, ball busting, if you will, which is a very New Jersey thing. So I was, I was fine with that, but <laughs> we, well, we've had this discussion since and, and it's important okay. to make these connections at the time UNLV just didn't have ducks in a row or it was like, okay, now what do we do with this? And it, it, it was just sort of could have been, could have gone better. And I was not around enough to steward it properly. I was a volunteer. I was not getting paid in any way. That's my oh, mantra. I have a, I have a t-shirt that says that. I think it's my only shirt. I have to wear it all the time because I don't have any money, but, <laughs> but the, so typical I, entrepreneur, my, Dan, typical yeah. entrepreneur. if know? I had a car, I would live in it. So <laughs> I sold my car. That's a long story. Cause I was traveling all the time. Anyway. So the, the take home was at the time we did it, they, UNLV just wasn't, didn't get it. If you want to be uh, just sort of glib. And since then, a lot of things have happened. Jamie joined UNLV. Um, there's a lot of building of resources and, and their tech park and the Hughes uh, effort that Robert Reuter is driving. And there's there's a lot of things now focused on incubation and connection, the SBIR funding, the SSTT, I think it is. Um, so making grant money available to joint UNLV you know, student and startup project, there's just a whole myriad of things that have developed. And when I spoke to Zach, when they presented all the SBIR stuff, I know this is a long talk. I'm sorry, I'll get to the end. Okay. Uh, when Zach when Zach and Jamie and um, Grace Chu, I think it was from our UNLV, oh, they were talking uh-huh. about the SBIR stuff. And um, when I walked in the room, I said, hey, Zach, remember uh, Fusion Center? He's like, oh, yeah. And so after the talk, I said, if this were in place when we did the clinic program, he's like, oh yeah, tell me about it. It would have been night and day. Nice. So they've, they've come a long way. And I, I do have that connection with Zach from 2014, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and I'm hoping, and some of the stuff that we may, we may talk about here, the Startup Resource Center, which you refer to other cities having, which I think we really need here, is the everything between I just got to Vegas and do you know Jamie? There's a bunch of stuff in there that has to happen. Like, wh- who's Jamie, and what is a Blackfire? And I need to figure out where I'm going to live. And uh, <laughs> so, a lot yeah, of stuff go, is left to chance. We can uh, go in a lot of different directions with this, but I will say, um, and and not that I want to funnel this conversation too far there, because I think maybe Jamie covered it. But 
I will say that one of the um, one of the focal areas that seemed really ripe for um, strong effort was technology transfer commercialization. I served as the technology transfer director for my university for many years, and I can tell you that um, moving of intellectual property IP into the marketplace is exceedingly is exceedingly impactful on the local economy, but it doesn't yes. happen very often. Yes. And the reason that it doesn't happen in, in Nevada is that our process, our pipeline has been a little bit bottlenecked for quite some time. And with Zach Miles coming back to UNLV this past year, he has put into play, um, and Jamie outlined it uh, for me during our interviews, um, a process that starts way back with the faculty members that are doing innovations, that are doing the research, that are the scientists that are doing that good work. And then as they go through the process of discovery, disclosure discovery, um, and then into the commercialization pipeline, he's identified the pipelines. They have identified a strategy for how they can move some of this IP into the Nevada economy. This cannot be more critical. It's, it's not like we're starting shoe stores out of UNLV. These are cures for cancer. Right. These are climate change innovations. These are things that have could have a profound um, impact on the entire global economy. And a lot of that innovation, there's quite a bit of innovation that's occurring at DRI, UNR, and UNLV. And so seeing the work that Zach's done, I don't know if you noticed in the report, but I believe that the gateway of Blackfire could serve eventually a little bit controversial here, but it could serve eventually as a gateway for the entire state's intellectual property. And I'd like to see Nevada move in that direction because I think his plan is sound. I think the facilities are there. I think the talent is there. They're hiring in addition to the good people that they have on staff, including Jamie. They're hiring more people to guide those processes and to do a better job of linking innovators like you with innovations that are coming out of the UNLV campus if it's successful and if we can exploit that statewide, I think we could start one, maybe two um, globally driven companies a year out of the state that would eventually move the needle um, on this economy in directions that we can't even imagine right now. Right. So that's one big finding um, from my perspective of where we can go. And I think people like Jamie and the talent that she brings is critically important to that. I, so I agree uh, pretty much with I don't really I don't have any arguments against uh, so I, I'll say I agree with everything you just said and I will say also and I did not send this to you but I have a yeah. I have a bulleted list of things and so I called it the fusion center at the time so I was sitting in okay. Zach's office back in 2014 uh, I haven't I have an email about like so I, I know like around the date so I'm not not as evidence but like yep we did start this conversation in 2014. And then a cool. few years later, I think in 17, I, I actually made a bullet list to kind of bring some ideas up to date with the person I was meeting with, with here. The bottom line is the fusion center, the entire concept. I said, Zach, you, you need to, the clinic program is, is kind of a component of connecting the, the work the students are doing with the facilities the university has, with the local talent, with talent that comes from other places. You know, if, if people are going to come to Vegas for uh, innovation sprint slash hackathon slash I don't really live in Vegas, but the company I'm working <laughs> with had. So how do you enable all these people? You're not going to spin up a biology lab or a, or a pharmaceutical research facility tomorrow for a startup, but you already have a lot of those things. So the fusion center to me was an opportunity to connect all these people and, in a place that is capable of supporting this type of innovation. I can build an app in a coffee shop tomorrow. I cannot build a circuit board. I cannot 
uh, you know, develop an electronic or, you know, I can't do any semiconductor. Any, I, there's a lot of things that the university can enable today that would take a long time to build. And this came up really because people, I moved here and they said, what would it take for us to be Silicon Valley? And well, a time machine in Stanford, but barring that, <laughs> your unit, well, so I, I know that's glib, but it's- Wait, 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 wait. I got to back you up though. Let me, let me back you up. What happened to the fusion center? No, no, no. Uh, so I, I have this whole bullet list, which I'll send you. It's not a secret. And I literally, I literally said, uh, Zach, we're still working on this. He's like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a good idea. So I'm not, I don't give up on things. I'm still. Uh, so it's still in play. I, well, as far as I'm concerned. So when we, okay. So the startup resource center is a thing that we're working on. When I was at Blackfire with my uh, colleagues, Ezekiel and uh, Evelyn, the three of us talking to Albert, who is kind of taking the lead role because Jamie is doing 25 other things. And so, so Albert, main contact, shout out to Albert. He was, you know, out his window, he goes, oh, we're building this, this, and this. I said, well, the Fusion Center basically takes advantage of that and can, it makes all these connections. So it's very much a topic of discussion from my perspective. And I have invited Jamie and Zach to uh, take me to lunch and we'll, t- <laughs> we'll talk about it more. <laughs> take me but to lunch. Nice, nice. I, I always tell people, I really don't cancel or give up on projects. They just take longer, but it's still a yeah. good idea. Um, obviously... I don't want to take up the entire time talking about a bullet list that you've not seen and that nobody here is uh, listening has seen, but I will send it to you. I would it's like the, it. I would it's like the it. start. It's the start of an idea, but it's essentially, mm-hmm. hey, I was in Silicon Valley, and now this many years later, I've traveled around to so many different places, and I've seen, you know, the, the entire notion of maker spaces and connecting community, local, you know, people in the community locally with the facilities to turn ideas into tangible outcomes. Uh, there was a biohacking makerspace in the Bay Area for a while. So you just can't easily spin that up out of nowhere if you have support and enabling um, facilities and resources and talent, right? The professors and students to, to sort of back that up. You can turn a university into a public good. <laughs> Not that it already isn't, but you can. No, and so all the, all the stuff they're building in the tech park kind of fits this model. So I'm not going to say it was all my idea, but it fits into something that Zach and I started talking about in 2014. So we'll see. Oh, that's uh, we'll awesome. That is awesome. So, is so cool. I, well, we'll see. I hope so. I, when, yeah. when I moved here, I did not, I tried not to say like, well, I'm here from Silicon Valley and this place is, uh, sucks. Uh, I have grown into that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. No, what? No, my mantra is when I hear people say we're going to be the next Silicon Valley, I have a very simple response. It is that has been done. We're not going to do that. We should be well, a better Las Vegas. And be I, a better yeah, Las I don't Vegas. Think, Vegas is different and it has it its is. own set of assets, and exploiting yeah. them should be our goal, not emulating someone else's assets. I don't know if anybody's noticed this, but, uh, but Mo's been saying we and our and us. I think she's moving. She's moving to Vegas. <laughs> Careful. I'll tell you, I, I, I'm looking. I'm looking well, I, for a place, guys. I'm looking I for have, a place. I have to warn you, self-employed people have a challenge here because they usually want a bunch of pay stubs and it's very challenging. <laughs> okay. no, real, real thing. That's the hacker house idea. We'll get to that later. Evelyn, shout out to Evelyn for, uh, she's driving uh, the, ha- if you've ever seen HBO Silicon Valley, we, uh, we don't have TJ Miller, but the, the notion of being able to, <laughs> to, to live somewhere while you pursue your startup. I mentioned Ezekiel, shout out to Ezekiel as well. He moved here from Austin and he said, I, I couldn't live anywhere. They wanted pay stubs and history and money in the bank and all. Yeah. So he, he, it was a challenge. It's a challenge that's real and it doesn't, uh, it affects everybody. It's a, you know, come to Vegas with your startup and then so good Dan, luck. Yes. So Dan, so Dan, so Dan, let me, let me touch on that. Okay. So, Cause you okay, mentioned so housing. We know, 
Yeah, we know that's a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, and so we need to address it. Yeah. So in some places, like in Kansas City, they have eco-villages. Mm-hmm. They literally have neighborhoods that have been set aside mm-hmm. for incoming entrepreneurs to find a communal place to live, a touchdown point, if you will. While they're able to continue, they can move one day on Monday and they can be actively working back and their business moved in with the room with a group of other people that are similarly minded by Friday. Mm-hmm. And then as they continue to do their work and they become more comfortable and get to know the community and they make connections, they can find places to live. And, and I, believe, I believe that's the future. Yeah. I think we need to rethink work. We need to rethink, um, well, I'll, I'll be very frank. I think we need to rethink business recruitment. I think we need to think about talent recruitment. Yeah innovation recruitment and the kinds of resources that are need for people like you and people that you're describing this morning are not the same as what we've needed in the past. We don't need new housing developments necessarily, but we do need a lot of green spaces and we need bike paths and we need communal living and we need individual homes that make sense for people that are, are living a different kind of life than they may have even 20 years ago. Yes, um, Evelyn. Uh, if you if you look through your inbox, you'll I'm sure you'll have at least one or two. I'm, I'm gonna, well, I'm not going to jump away now, but I certainly will. Right, and so I know she has brought this up. We just talked about it yesterday. Evelyn and uh, Josh and my mother were. My mother was in town, so we we had a little snack before she headed to the airport. So Evelyn is very passionate about this, and she was actually and this is inside baseball a little bit, but she was lamenting that she's getting a lot of pushback and a lot of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Um, She's talked to a lot of people, real estate, investment, real estate, you know, like building homes. Uh, yeah. She, we should, we'll, we'll talk to her. She will, she, she I, I don't want to speak for her, because, but she, I know she's been really hitting the pavement, really talking to anybody about, um, you know, here's what I want to do to enable this. Evelyn, uh, I will briefly stay. I don't want, Evelyn is a fascinating individual. Another, if, if, if I had to pick five people, Jamie Schwartz and Evelyn would be all five. Uh, people, people like, but people like this have real insight and are very smart and they they don't mess around. Evelyn will tell you what she thinks and then mostly good things. Um, she's a vegetarian, so (laughs) (laughs) at least that's relevant, but okay. (laughs) Well, sometimes you're like, oh man, but this is really delicious. I wish you could try this. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I, I was, I have, I have to have a little humor in here because we're not. We don't want to be too dry, but, uh, and That's by the true. way, we're apparently we're, we're not going to really be arguing. So nobody, I hope you're not waiting for the big fight at the end, but the, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of hoping, fight. uh, no, but so Evelyn has, has a lot of insight. She has lived in hacker housing. She has been, well, there you go. she has okay. been a co-founder of startups. She was born in New Jersey, shout out to New Jersey. And then, but she lived in Miami. She, her parents are Cuban immigrant immigrants to America. So she she lived in Miami. She lived in uh, New Orleans. She lived in Utah, and I think in Salt Lake. She, some, uh, there was another one in there, and then she, most recently in Silicon Valley. So she has been a startup founder. She's worked at uh, big companies. She's worked at small companies. She's done social media uh, marketing, like platform development stuff. So sure. she's done a little bit of everything. She's been there, done that. Has the T-shirt, the whole nine. So it's when she t-shirt. when she says we need some sort of a hacker house or. And people kind of go, man, what the, eh, we don't really need that. She's kind of, I think justifiably a little put off because it's like, well, you, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. See, I'm wearing it right now. And so I think there's, the pushback is basically because of ignorance. And so we need to work on a, maybe a story or get an early adopter. 
to kind of give it a whirl kind of thing. But yeah, sure. I, Evelyn, Evelyn is coming from a place of, uh, of sincere belief. And I think justifiably that you really need to be able to live here. And I mentioned this earlier that Tony Shea, uh, the downtown project, the Vegas tech fund, and so they, they had a housing component as far as I'm aware, a lot right. of people ended up living in the Ogden or the jewel Ogden. or mm-hmm. various other, well, I mean, when people mo- were here, you'd hear about them. You know, the jewel was another de- popular destination. However, that was arranged. So just how do you, how do you move to Vegas and suddenly live in a high rise apartment when you're having, you have a startup? Like, well, somebody's going to have to take a chance and say, well, you're probably not going to disappear because you have some funding. Maybe, um, there was the startup row, which was, I think six homes in in the Huntridge district that, so it was, it was kind of a startup house, hacker house scheme there. So there was a lot of thinking that I think was headed in the right direction. So, so really what Evelyn's suggesting is we do need this. People need to be able to live here. If you're going to invite them to be here, they should be able to live here. And it's a gap that I think she's trying to fill. And I think she's, if not the right person, certainly one of the right people that should be tackling this because of her experience and her sincere pursuit. Nice. Nice. So yeah, she, she, I know she emailed you, so check those out at some point, but I yeah, housing, it. housing is a non-trivial component. There's a, there, but that was what we were talking about with Albert among 25 other things was there's, they're thinking about building some dorm, dorm space uh, as part of the tech park. And he said, maybe that could be like a hacker house, startup housing. Exactly. So there's the fact that those conversations can happen instead of now, sorry, not interested is, is good. I think it's good. But before we get too far, what, so we, we've, we've said entrepreneurial ecosystem a few times. So I think we may as well say, what, what do you think an ecosystem is? I have my view. Um, It's not something to really argue about, but you go first, you go first. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm going to use that somehow. Dan, you go first. Yeah, so, you go first. <laughs> so I, I have always, uh, I don't know how old always is, how long that is, but essentially, my I have a I have a minor little toe in the water uh, attention spent on actual biological ecosystems. You know, the the actual ecology term yeah, for an ecosystem. Yeah, so I'll talk about carrying capacity and climax communities from that perspective, but they apply just as well here, right? We have a carrying capacity. How many people can really be here in a particular yes. vertical? Or, and there's a climax community, which right now is hospitality and tourism. You, you know, there are other, the, the climax community doesn't mean that others die, but it does mean that there's a big one that's sort of runs the, the place. If you go to a redwood forest, the climax community of the ecosystem is redwood trees, so there are okay. other things, but that's the thing. So, so the ecosystem to me here has four key components, the, uh, education and talent pool, if you will. Uh, so that's, that's where you get people that can do things in the ecosystem. I would liken that to the soil, the nutrient rich soil right. of the ecosystem. There's the, uh, uh, <laughs> there's the, there's access to capital, which we'll say is like either water or sun or, you know, it's external. And then there's uh, government infrastructure support regulation. So there's generally, you have to have a a friendly terrain in which to work. So they are one of the other things, the other wind or water or however you want to look at those. And then there's the communities that emerge in the ecosystem. And I would say they are the flora and fauna. So you can have a community of flowers. You can have a community of bees. They emerge in the ecosystem. They are codependent, if you will. They're symbiotic, certainly. 
And so similarly, we have, uh, I jokingly say, well, we have startups and we have coffee shops. They're both entrepreneurial. One absolutely needs the other, or maybe bartenders if you like. But <laughs> so that's, that's how I would define an ecosystem is the resources and the, and the, the underpinnings and then emerging communities and success stories that come from it. So I say you can, you, ecosystems take a long time to build and changing the climax community of an ecosystem requires actual energy, just as you would, if you want to replant a redwood forest and make it a savanna, that's not going to happen in 10 days. <laughs> so, right, right. So the, I think the biological analogy is, holds up reasonably. Uh, I'm not going to get, I'm not an ecologist, so I can't really dive into the, you know, if somebody wants to argue. But that's my take. Essentially, ecosystems are very hard to change and communities that emerge from them can do so, but they also don't just spring up. I think you, they have to be enabled and then they have to sort of, they, I think they're emergent. I don't think they are built. I often say if, uh, wheat, wheat does not grow. I mean, you don't grow wheat. Wheat grows itself, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I think at the core um, what you describe and what I read and what you sent me and my philosophies and principles um, are very similar. I talk about the importance of public policy, place, mm -hmm. um, resource networks, networks, connections, um, and all of those things. We talk about how it takes a long time. I think the ecosystem analogy is indeed very important and biologically based because that is how slowly and how with care, certain segments of an ecosystem will rise and they will become very, they'll flourish and others will kind of not. And so I think the biological references are really strong. Um, I, I think that there's a piece perhaps that we haven't talked about that I think makes a huge impact on our, our definitions of ecosystems or communities, as you said earlier. And I think that's the, um, the rate at which fundamental change has occurred in our economy and around the world. So the, you know, if you, and I know I'm, I'm going back and talking basics here, but, you know, back in the 1990s, we were a manufacturing-led economy. And we had been for almost a century since the Industrial Revolution. And somewhere, Robert Atkinson, who is an economist who serves the Kauffman Foundation, said somewhere in the late 1990s, we moved um, kind of almost unnoticed from an economy driven by manufacturing to one driven by technology innovation. And of course, it was led by the creation of the internet. And as a result, what's happened is where um, innovation comes from, where our jobs come from, the way that we create companies, every single aspect of our economy has changed, um, has shifted, sometimes really abruptly and through kind of crisis change and in other, other places and in other more subtle ways through more incremental kinds of change. But collectively, um, it's an entirely different environment. And so I don't look at, um, to your point about the hospitality industry being, um, you almost said like a, like a monoculture. I can't remember what you said, a vertical of some kind, but I don't even look at the hospitality industry in Las Vegas. Um, and, and forgive me if, if this really rubs anyone the wrong way, but I see it as an impediment. I see it as a barrier. Um, it's, not, it's not really part of the ecosystem. The ecosystem is the talent, the technology, the innovation, um, the people who are driving new ideas, who are commercializing um, new innovations, protectable um, IP. Sure. That is the sum and the core of an ecosystem. And, and along with that, an ecosystem in my book is everyone 
it's everyone from the Latina who's running a home-based business selling um, taquitos out of her, uh, off her back porch even, to someone who's doing home-based business, doing coding, to um, a person that has a brick and mortar store, to someone that's doing startup scale-up activity um, and getting access to capital from Startup Vegas sure. or Startup uh, Nevada. Or outside um, to, of Vegas. Or, or outside of, yeah, that yeah. happens. Um, or, or, or to the innovators that are um, building teams to commercialize some kind of intellectual property coming out of UNLV. Yep. Every single player in that collective ecosystem are important and they contribute, just not necessarily in the ways that we thought were important in the 1980s. And yeah, so I agree. The yeah. Biggest, yeah. yeah, the biggest challenge that, um, and I'm just going to keep going because that's how I am. Sure. The biggest challenge that we face right now is culture shift that we have people who are in leadership positions across our state, across our country, who are still operating on the on the principles and practices of economic development that they cut their teeth on, meaning that they earned their reputation, they had their wins, they did all of the training, and they learned how to do economic development when manufacturing was our driver. And now many of those people are my age. I can say that I'm older. <laughs> Um, and to have to go back and relearn and to rethink at the fundamental basis that's required to build an innovation economy is really difficult. There's not a lot to draw from. And when people are rabble rousers and they come in and they say, you've got to do things differently and it has to be this way. And, you know, it's, it's very threatening. And so our, uh, our opportunity as champions for our ecosystem today is to find ways to bring along the expertise and the talent of the people that have served our communities and our state for a very long time, um, make sure that they're is as included as everyone else, and at the same time, slowly, carefully um, bring in new ideas, new innovations, new approaches to economic development that allow for the kinds of growth um, in companies, in industries throughout the stack, including industries that didn't even exist 15 years ago, 10 years ago, and inclusive of those industries that are coming, I give you chat GPT as a very baseline beginning um, that we don't really know much about yet. And, and I, think, I think that's the basis of an ecosystem. It's, it's, it's a, a way of building an economy based upon the changing nuances of technology innovation. I have a couple things. Uh, so first of all, the, <clears throat> the climax community, and these are, um, we're not arguing. So, but to, no, to your point, I so don't feel like climax, we are. No, I'll let you can, know when I'm arguing. We can, uh, like, do you like pineapple on pizza? That will get us going, I think. No, but, I hate okay, it. Oh okay, my not gosh. that one. No, we agree. Uh, I don't even bring that up. So, so the, the climax community was the, the term you, uh, yeah, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that, okay. that was referencing hospitality, right? Well, right. Well, so climax community does not mean to the exclusion of others. It is, uh, s simply put, if you were to burn down a redwood forest, what would eventually return is the redwood forest because that's the climax community. It's, it's like what naturally occurs there, the resources, the sun, the sure. moon, the stars, everything points to this is what's going to come back here. So if you look at Vegas post-pandemic, what what sprang back to life? They were making a big thing about how gambling and tourism, or, I'm sorry, gaming and tourism have come back with a vengeance. Yeah. It is, it is the natural, it, it, it's the thing. If you, if you say, well, the oasis here that we have in the desert, uh, they turned it into this tourism gaming destination city. So you took a desert climax community, right? Tumbleweeds and cactus and whatever. 
and turned it into the Las Vegas that probably most people are familiar with. I, when I would travel around the world, they're like, oh, do you just drink and gamble all the time? And I said, oh, obviously, but that's the view. <laughs> the view of Vegas is that, right? So, but, but Dan, but Dan, yes. the reason there is a Climax community that exists, it's based in hospitality is because we built the ecosystem infrastructure around that. Absolutely. If and so we build, if we build an ecosystem infrastructure around the innovation economy, what will we emerge as the climax economy or the climax, whatever you said, community, is, yeah. thank you, community is the kinds of industries that will drive this economy into the global space. Right. So, so to continue the, the example, then if I said, I, I have a redwood forest and when I, when I did my ecology stuff a long time ago, that was the example they kept using. So sorry, we'll we pick whatever you like. If we have this ecosystem and we have this climax community that is naturally the strongest and it is the central hub and certainly every redwood forest will have different little bits of plant life and birds and other animals. So it's a supporting pillar of the ecosystem, right? If we said we want to turn it into a desert or a savanna or a, you know, you have to tear down what you have. I'm not saying we would tear down all the resorts, but you have to basically shift the entire ecosystem because it prefers evolutionarily perhaps a climax community that is in place and is thriving and you need to shift it to another one. So if we said, yeah, tourism and, and hospitality and, and gaming and all that is fine, but we want to shift to an innovation economy, not saying we shouldn't, but what I do say is, is it at the expense of, or in addition to, or in conjunction? In other words, if the carrying capacity, which is the other term I use, the carrying capacity is the number of different, say, communities that can exist in an ecosystem without uh, being parasitic to one another. To you know, so if we said, "Oh, let's double the amount of innovation," might lead to gentrification, might price people out of being in the gaming industry. So you just, you start to impact the hospitality component. So there's not enough people to work there and whatnot. So the take home is: uh, Can we accomplish strengthening our entrepreneurial ecosystem? without detrimental impact on some of the more established, if you if you want to agree that it's a climax community, without basically burning that down, even a little bit. Or maybe it has to be. I'm not I'm not the person to answer that question, but it's I am certainly asking it. May I speak to that? Absolutely. So um I agree with everything that you've said. And I believe We're done. Thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I think um that the climax community as it exists now is evolving to become more aligned with the innovation economy as we speak. The nuances of online gambling, of VR, of artificial intelligence are all innovations that have a profound and potentially very positive impact upon that climax community based upon gambling and hospitality in Las Vegas. And so really what I think will happen is that what we're building with this ecosystem will take in and bring along the hospitality industry in a way that allows for new jobs to be created, new innovations to occur, that will sustain this Climax community in a way that it otherwise would never be able to be sustained in the face of such turbulent change that we're facing right now. Uh, yes. And so my... My take, okay, so if we if we don't argue the point, because I think we both agree that we're not going to be the next Silicon Valley, if we, if we say that innovation should be 
uh, a major component, maybe the comics community, if you, if you want to stick with these terms, which I like, so that's fine. Sure. <laughs> but sure, So sure. if we say we are going to become an innovation city at the expense of, or possibly to, you know, the diminishment of our other. Mm. I'm not saying city. that. Yeah, no, I'm so, not saying so, that. Nor am yeah. I. So my take okay, is good. that we should lean into being, make, be, be a better Las Vegas, but with so many people coming here with the trade shows, I always tell people, one of the great things about being here is all the people I've met around the world come here eventually for a CES or a KBiz or a, or an NAB show or, you know, who knows there, but people mm-hmm. do tend to come. Nobody's going to say Vegas. Nah. Sometimes they'll say, Oh, I don't like to travel or I don't like the big trade shows, but nobody is really anti Vegas when it comes to traveling somewhere. If you said, yeah, we're meeting in um, like Houston, like, Oh my God, the place is so humid, but Vegas. <laughs> eh, okay. I can, I can deal with Vegas. There's stuff to do. So we should be leaning into that. Uh, I mentioned the, right. the Fusion Center. That was one of the components. It's like you lean into the fact that people can get in and out of Vegas very easily. Um, now we have remote work, right? Do you have to move to Vegas or can you be a part of our economy from wherever you are? And I have a whole V-Local discussion we could have about that, about my, my, my infrastructure to extend our economy beyond our borders. So, And it's inspired somewhat by e-residence programs in Estonia. Shout out to Estonia. <laughs> I bet they weren't expecting that. So, so I think there's ways to take advantage of the innovation economy here and not necessarily be parasitic to the existing, um, sort of world renowned destination city components that still employ a lot of people. I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm just, I'm just saying, so the climax community, I think too often people here will, will. I'm not gonna say dismiss it because there's still, you know, Bo uh, is it Bo Bernard, the president of the the UNLV Business College? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. He he frequently posts on LinkedIn about our entertainment or fun economy. So nobody's saying like get rid of it all. But I I do I'm just curious to know. And during the pandemic, there was like a huge rent increase that priced people out and so on. So is gentrification going to be a problem? It was in the downtown project days people that were not involved with the downtown project got priced out of being in, in the downtown area. Some of them maybe weren't officially living there, but they were hanging out on the sidewalk maybe. But it, it, there, there are economic impacts that I think have to be at least considered, if not um, weighed and, <coughs> and measured into the plan. So that's I all. guess, I'm, yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, just to the housing issue, um, I don't lay the gentrification and those those components on the feet of ecosystem building. I lay that on global trends in housing. Um, there is not, I think there was a study done in 2018 by, uh, let me think who it was. I'm not remembering right now, but the study said that there was not a county in the United States that was not facing a housing shortage. And this was pre-pandemic. And so you know that the urgency and the demand is even worse now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's not, has nothing to do, has very little to do, a microscopic amount of, of uh, cause and effect associated with the rise of entrepreneurship. So I guess I feel like housing is a general um, economic development issue, community development issue. We must find good solutions to solve it, but I don't think it falls into the realm of ecosystem building to be the leaders in in finding those solutions. I think there are specific things in housing that entrepreneurs need, and it's incumbent upon us to find those resources and to find ways to build novel housing opportunities that allow that innovation to continue its upward trajectory. Sure. 
uh, I will say, so but when I lived in Sunnyvale, California, which is somewhere in near the heart of Silicon Valley, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> and by the way, I moved there in 1993 and we've mm -hmm. already kind of touched on it. That was a, that was a real turning point in the economy as a whole. It was when uh, Al Gore invented the internet. I was, was going to say that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, get your own material. That's, uh, <laughs> a really, that's, a, that's a really old line and I love it. Go on. Go on. It's still true if ever it was. Yeah, no, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. So, but I, I happened to graduate from college and move to Silicon Valley in 1993. It was a very weird time because there was a uh, side note. Uh, I was, I was the youngest person in most of the places I worked for the first two years or so, including Apple, because there had been a recession, the Bush recession, the Bush 41 recession, right? So, so the, the Clinton administration, Al Gore and his, uh, his, uh, ethernet cables and whatnot, were, were changing the world. So there was this gap in age. And so, and people would comment on it because that's, you know, whatever. Like, wow, man, like the next oldest person here is like four or five years older than you. And uh, that was the nature of the beast. So, you know, that yeah. was the what we had established. But I will say this, Silicon Valley, uh, Santa Clara County, I should say, during the, uh, the the recession or whatever of 2000, the Great Recession, is that what they called it? Or 2008, mm -hmm. nine? Yep, yep, Santa yep. Clara County was, if I recall correctly, and I interviewed the county assessor who had been the former mayor of, of, uh, of Sunnyvale, uh, Harry Stone, has great stories. He goes, uh, yeah, Santa Clara County is the only county in California that didn't see a property value decrease during this time. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because is this that? is where the money is and this is where all the gentrification is. How did you participate in the tech economy of Silicon Valley if you were not a tech person? Oh, I bought a house in the 80s. It's gone up a thousand times. <laughs> and I'm, I'm charging yeah. some people rent that uh, is paying for my kids uh, and their kids college, right? You know, sure, so, sure. so participation in the economy was, was in some cases real estate based. Uh, I don't know that if that would be possible that here. Is that is one Sorry? of the unique aspects of the Silicon Valley. They have the highest housing, I believe, yeah. in the country even today. Well, so my my point to that, and not that it's the only thing, but you know, what happens if if somehow I think there was a headline: thousands of companies are moving to Vegas from California. Okay, let's assume that's correct. And you have uh, when I when I first moved here, I think there was a, a net increase of a thousand people a week. That that didn't stay true for long, but let's say, you know, 10,000 people a month move from Vegas, thousands, mm -hmm. thousands some crazy mm -hmm. number. Yeah. Uh, I, I read an article last week that there was a shortage of about 84,000 housing units, whatever, however they do those metrics. So suppose mm -hmm. they were able to catch up with that housing, people move into town, everything's fine, but this cost of living still goes up, right? Because now people are making, you know, one and a half, two times the salary. You have some salary, median salary numbers in the report that I won't, right? people can read that. But, you know, salaries, average, median, however you want to look at the, the, the numbers start rising. The cost of living will start rising because that's how markets work. So what happens when, we don't have to solve this today, by the way, but, you know, just something I think about because um, I don't sleep much. So something is like, oh, what happens if, if Silicon Valley effects start to be apparent here? What happens if you start gentrifying people and, and the downtown project? One of the reasons I think it's really interesting to look at is there, it was a microcosmic scenario where people were priced out of, of being downtown if they were not part of the project, right? Like, oh, I'm, I just lived here and now I can't kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's something I think about. And I, and it's valid. I think it's really valid. Um, I, I think it's a, a problem that is not materialized as of yet, at least at the level that we're describing and it's happening in the Silicon Valley. Um, but it's one of the many things that we need to address 
if we're looking forward into what does the innovation economy look like in Nevada and how to, what are the things that we need to focus on? And to your point, um, you know, some of the things that happened in other places that have more mature ecosystems are probably good indicators of what we should be planning for. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agree with you. And to, I, to be very glib or even cynical, um, I've said, okay, so suppose we have our entrepreneurial ecosystem in going full force and blossoming and they're emerging tech startups and a couple of unicorns spring out of nowhere and they get uh, millions of funding and they do their big exit and you know all this and 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 there are a few people that make out like bandits as the saying goes or they (laughs) but we we live in a city that where there are a few winners and many losers that's how you build casinos (laughs) not by giving away money so so we live in a place that benefits from having few winners and many losers. You can, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I just mean that you, you came here to gamble and you lost your money. So if, if a few entrepreneurs win, but the cost of living goes up as a result of the overall effort, and Evelyn can tell you this because she's, uh, she's actually looked into this a lot, but it's roughly 20% success rate for, for your typical long tail VC investment in a startup or, and that kind of tracks with entrepreneurialism in general, right? Like uh, the general case, your restaurant has a 20% chance of succeeding, your retail store, your whatever. So if we have a few people that make out well, they profit, they they, they generate some wealth. Wealth. If they stay here, that's great. Um, I sometimes say, you know, exit can mean exit. <laughs> what happens to the people that are in the 80% that, uh, well, my rent went up by 100% in, uh, in the last year and it costs twice as much to do this or that. I can't afford to, to work in the casinos. I can't afford to have the job I had. So I'm just, I, I, I'm looking at the worst cases. That's just my nature, right? I'm really fun mm-hmm. at parties. So mm-hmm. so that's all. I mean, it's a question that I think should be on the table and not easily like, oh, that's not going to happen. So that, that's all. I mean, I, I'm not really arguing either way. I think it's sure. something to look at. I will happily be wrong. If I'm wrong, great. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sound glib. So I apologize if I, if I, <laughs> I'm interpreted that way, but let me let me say this: that when we're talking about only the startup scale up community, I think those numbers and those percentages are probably accurate. But when I talk about ecosystem building, I'm talking about the whole stack. And so, I think the jobs of the future, the way that we earn money in the future, may be for some people it may be 25 gig jobs um, and a side hustle on weekends. And for other people, it might be trying to create a unicorn of which 20% might make it somewhere. Um, but across the board, the way we work, when we work, how we work um, is is in the midst of fundamental and profound disruption. And so all of those things are kind of up for grabs. And uh, so I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I think that the beauty of this new economy, the beauty of the innovation economy, is that for many places, particularly rural regions, particularly those people who um, have been disenfranchised in the past and precluded from amassing any kind of wealth, the opportunities far outweigh the disadvantages associated with things like housing, meaning that there are so many opportunities to make money because of the internet that did not exist for their parents, for their grandparents. And so throughout the stack, I think we're going to see if we do it right, if we build the infrastructure around individuals, I think if we do it right, we are going to see a much more empowered, we are going to see a stronger local economy, we're going to see more people with wealth, and we're going to see some shifts in um, 
where and how our, our jobs come from. I, yes, I agree with that. I agree that uh, flexibility is going to be key, that you, you don't enter the future by staying in the present. So I'm totally down with that. My concern, though, is the shock to people not quite ready for that and what happens and the, you know, the, the lasting yeah. impacts from that and the ripple effects yeah. went up. But I will also say the um, the LBGEA had a had the job rec, which has, I believe, been filled now about this you know, entrepreneurial uh, community development or entrepreneurial. Yeah, something. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you looked at the job rec, it was very, very specifically Silicon Valley-ish. You know, we're looking at startups and we're looking at funding and we're looking at exits. You know, those were the metrics they were concerned with. Yeah. Yep. And yep, so yep. we can we here today can speak of, you know, the the grand unified ecosystem helping all, raising all boats, which I think is a good aim and I think it's doable. I don't think you have to necessarily provide equal outcomes for everybody, but I think equal opportunity and so I'm a, a equality versus equity, I guess. But I think there are some people who are maybe drinking the Kool-Aid or the Flavor-Aid, if you want to be historically accurate. And uh, <laughs> and and they're saying things like, uh, we're going to be the next Silicon Valley, or we're going to be this, you know, this it's going to well, blow up here, this mega hub. And that may happen. It's not going to happen in the next five years. And that's I, the, Dan, I know, I know we have to wrap up, but let me say this. Um, oh no, we've on, I haven't even begun. If you have to leave, okay. Oh my gosh, oh, how long did how long did your podcast last, my friend? <laughs> uh, with with Jamie, it was two hours. We're only at an hour. Oh my 20. goodness, I think it was two hours. Well, oh, no, I mean, goodness. I have a I have a whole bunch of things we can talk about. But if you have to leave, we can have a part two. No, fairly soon. Yeah, fairly soon. I have a, a Zoom call at twelve thirty. I'm so sorry. Okay. I should have asked you um, how how long we went. But but let me let me make a, a point here. So one thing that's really exciting about the LVGEA new position is the fact that um, this is a regional, powerful, influential economic development group that has made their reputation on building an economy um, that has been very strong, very powerful, um, and it's not been built on entrepreneurship. And now they have acknowledged and are saying, yep, we see value in the innovation economy. We see the trends and we are willing to dedicate resources and time and energy and talent um, they hired Heather Brown um, to belt, build out um, a, a, a piece of our practice to support entrepreneurship economic development. Now, that said, every player in the ecosystem does not have to address the needs of every entrepreneur in the stack. The beauty sure, of sure. ecosystem is built around the collaborative efforts of many organizations, large and small, both for profit and nonprofit, who come together, who build out a strategy with a unified vision and are able to execute on that vision based upon utilizing the resources and talent of various entities and organizations to do good work in the space where they're missioned to do so. Yeah. And I think, I think if, if I were to say there's one thing that Las Vegas must um, really address. It's bringing together those organizations and unifying the vision and the mission. Oh, yes. And those yes. kinds of questions like that you just posed will go away because it will become clear that when you assemble a group of 40 key leaders from our side of the fence, and I refer to that as being my side of the fence, mm-hmm. from academia, from economic development, you get those people around the table and they lay out on the table what they're able and capable and in many cases have been doing 
what happens is over time, we build a culture of support for one another. We build respect for those respective organizations. And from that can come a unified vision that can drive and accelerate economic growth of the ecosystem simply, not with new money, not with new talent, but simply through the accommodation that occurs through unifying a lot of diverse energy toward a common end goal. And that is, if there's any one thing that's missing in Las Vegas, I've talked to Jamie, I've talked to Zach, I've talked to Heather, I've talked to, well, we interviewed 267 people. So we we see that there isn't a lot of communication. Elizabeth Lopez and I spent multiple interviews talking about how, what could happen if we could bring a unified group of people together around a common goal of A, B, C, D. And I think to that end, that's where this report hopefully can bring value to this ecosystem. We, we put together a set of recommendations that I believe, given what we learned and what people told us, um, could be a common set of rallying points for the community to address as a beginning point to work together sure. and to have a unified vision. And moreover, we need the state of Nevada to realign and more equitably des- deliver economic development funds such yeah. that entrepreneurship is held up in the same light with the same esteem as business recruitment, BRNE, and business recruitment are. Um, and that requires a shift in culture. It's happening. There's movement right now at the state of Nevada to create um, an office of entrepreneurship. Super important. There is um, conversation occurring right now that we really should be talking about, about the knowledge fund and its role in the past and how it can serve as a leveraging tool to put together five, six, 10 more really innovative uh, studios, venture studios, accelerators, other kinds of co-working spaces that could launch Las Vegas forward more quickly with better, more equitable investment of state dollars. So I think, yeah. I think there's some really great things that could happen here, um, but most of it is tied to building the collaborative, collaborative can't talk, yeah, the collaborative energy of the individuals that are champions, that yes. have the expertise and that have the political ploy, the ability politically to execute on big initiatives in this in this city. I was ecstatic when LVGEA said they were going to hire someone. Uh, it, it was yes. Uh, I will say it was interesting when I first saw the job wreck. I was concerned that it sort of smelled like uh, we're going to be the next Silicon Valley a little bit too much. And I will simply say I've talked to a lot of people and we are not necessarily jumping up and down uh, at this point. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I don't want to I don't want to get into that too much here. But yeah, okay. there, we'll we'll see. We I remain skeptical at this point, but we'll see. But okay. I will say this. You, uh, I believe I think it was the last word in a sentence somewhere that says how, you know, the enabling components of the entrepreneurial ecosystem are and you know city of las vegas and whatnot um by the way that uh, if you say city of las vegas too loudly lvga's offices aren't even in las vegas nor is unlv nor is blackfire you know the, the administrative boundaries versus the the southern nevada region it's sort of a gray area for tourists but technically where money is spent okay we'll leave that there but uh i think the the last word of that sentence where you listed things was and local entrepreneurs i think and i was like that's the that is the part that is important i think when you when you say okay LVGA city of Las Vegas agencies uh, politically elected people how many of you are actually entrepreneurs and how many of you are employed at a company or at an agency or at, for the city 
So I, I think the value of the people that are in it and doing it and, and wearing the t-shirt to continue that, uh, I think they cannot be left out of the equation. The, the Genius Roundtable is a part of that, the, the Startup Resource Center, which will probably and hopefully fit into some of these programs you're talking about. And by the way, the GoEd's ability to freely spend money was just curtailed by some recent legislation up in Carson right. City. Right. So, so I think there'll be a lot of things. And I think actually having real entrepreneurs who know know what works and what doesn't. And we can look, we don't even have to look at other cities, which you did a fine job of doing, but we can look at what worked and what didn't in the downtown project. Since a lot of your writing is about the innovation district, which is also downtown, there's a whole other part of Las Vegas and Clark County that we can also include that I think sometimes they're left to chance, right? The, the, the larger, the, I call it the greater Vegas entrepreneurial ecosystem. And you can take that in a couple of different ways. Sure. So making a better Las Vegas. So I, I think there's a lot left to be done. Uh, I'm not diminishing your report, but I think there's a lot more to do on the ground. Since we live here, we can actually do that. Local entrepreneurs who care can take the ball and run with it, which I'm sure. trying to drive. So, yeah. And I think, I think, um, and I, if it, if, and I probably didn't give enough kudos to the innovators and entrepreneurs um, that are working right now, like yourself. One of the things that struck me. Well, you did me, name me, so that was nice. I appreciate it. I named that. all of you. I named a bunch of you, but no, I mean, was, my name is in there. So I'm your name is that. in there. I'm going to use. Yeah. I'm going to use that. I'm going to have that printed on, a, on another T-shirt. I have you this T-shirt. You are so funny. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the number, the sheer volume of people who are entrepreneurs who are working to drive this ecosystem is substantial. It is overwhelmingly what's making this ecosystem grow and have the vibrancy mm-hmm. that it has right now. It's not the stakeholders. It's not LVGEA. It's not UC, It's not um, UNLV. It isn't the chambers. It isn't um, the SBDCs. I mean, it, and in of themselves, I counted probably 12 organizations in the region that are working on my side of the fence to support the ecosystem in ways that are profound and powerful, but they're working in isolation. And this was right. one of the biggest findings of the report is that the people that are working in a unified fashion are the entrepreneurs themselves. It's you and your peers, and you're the ones driving the real energy that's occurring right now. And that energy is really powerful and it's growing. What needs to happen is the same kind of energy needs to surround all of these organizations. And we have, we did an assessment. There are more than um, 180, 190 organizations in this region that are dedicated toward um, entrepreneurship, either wholly or in part by mission. Mm-hmm. And all of those organizations can and should contribute in a unified fashion. And right. that needs to be the first and most important thing that happens in Las Vegas is we do, I think I recommend an innovation summit um, led by the governor's office as a way to first and foremost, bring people together, but secondly, assure the entrepreneurs all of you, we care, we're listening, you're legitimate, we know you're driving our economy, and we support you. And I think if we could accomplish just that in the next 12 months, I think the the changes would begin to unfurl, and the outcomes would begin to astonish even you, Dan, even you. <laughs> I, I, some people come, they say, they say I'm like very cynical or a pessimist, and I, I have one simple, well, I have two simple answers. One, I don't have time to beat around uh, however you want it. you know i i'm direct josh yeah. always gives me like oh you're very direct and i said uh no i'm not 
<laughs> I'm argumentative. No, but the but the other thing is, um, you know, Dan, you're so pessimistic. Um, no, I'm very optimistic. Everything I'm doing, if you actually were to take an inventory, and I, I, I have a feeling Mo has at some point because. <laughs> yes. There's no reason she should be talking to me right now. If I was just some some random person, um, everything I do right now, if you if you assumed I was pessimistic, there's no way I would be doing all this stuff for free or or as being as uh, like I do the pitch workout room for free. That's exactly People are like, right. Oh, that's so. And yeah. Josh can tell you if he hasn't his story about Intaglio. You know, this is a real thing that is really enabling people, and it has you know there's at least one success story, and the the, the hidden fact is at least one person every month from the pitch workout room that got started there ended up on the stage at startup.vegas or ended up pitching to startup nb or pitching in other states or starting actual companies so there was a lot that came out of just starting i'm doing an open mic comedy event tonight because i don't know if i'm going to be a stand-up comedian but you sometimes you just have to get up and say some things and see what the response is and to enable that for a startup deck or you don't even need a deck i think is important even though i do it completely for free so the return on investment to me comes much later yeah, uh, and we need more of that now. To the to the uh, the enabling components in the ecosystem analogy, I think LBGA, City of Las Vegas, County of of uh, of uh, Clark. <laughs> that sounds very Irish. There is a there is a County Clark in Ireland, but so Clark <laughs> County, we they need to be the government facilitation infrastructure. You know, the, Michael E. Sherwood ha had a nice presentation about all the fiber they're putting in and the bead funding. And there's a lot of infrastructure they can put in place. They should be empowering entrepreneurs. I'll say like me, why not? But they should be empowering entrepreneurs who want to drive programs to do so. And we definitely need more communication. We have in-store communities. I tried doing my community summit. I haven't given up on that, but there are too many, as you point out, there, there are a lot of silos. I have a picture that I posted. It's a bunch of silos kind of in the, like very transparent in the background. So it's just, you know, a dozen silos. Like we need to talk yeah. <laughs> and the tools that we're building at Innovate for Vegas with the smart social, it's a, it's a properly done calendars that use all the protocols on it. So there's entrepreneurial thinking can hopefully move the needle. If That's we go right. with, if we go with agency and, you know, non-entrepreneurs trying to, and I've had this conversation with Della and you and Della need to talk. I, uh, that's I think so too. Absolutely. So I'm, um, if I didn't introduce you already, I, that's very strange. I probably, I, but anyway, it's my, my bad. Um, so yeah, there, uh, if, if there's a willingness to empower, enable and encourage, if you will, uh, that would be great. If we have to jump through hoops and climb over walls and things, we'll see how that goes. So I think, as you said earlier, there's going to have to be a reimagining of what certain things mean. We right. we did transition from manufacturing economy. We need to transition from, well, the government will tell you what to do. And I don't want to get political, <laughs> but I'm just saying yeah. that empowering you know, the think, entrepreneurs. Go ahead. I think, it, it, and I, I, I do have to go, but I, I want to say this. I think the pandemic was a secondary disruption. You know, the 08 recession, Great Recession was not great. Um, and then the pandemic makes us rethink again what ecosystem building looks like and feels like. And I myself am so excited about what the future holds for all of us, especially in our largest cities, especially in our largest cities that have innumerable assets like Las Vegas. Yeah. Because it, we have a lot of freedom and flexibility for um, people to live where they want to live and do good work wherever they choose. And people will, as we roll out this whole new trend in work, people will find themselves coming to Las Vegas in greater and greater numbers. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us who already live there 
and those that have the ability to create ecosystem resources and the infrastructure to step forward yeah. and to help help Las Vegas yeah. become the kind of global community that it can be in supporting innovation. And I think I think every resident of Las Vegas will be better for it. I, if I can self-plug a little bit, the Startup Resource Center, uh, there have been two things we've talked about and I, to assuage the, uh, the assumptions. I said, one, it doesn't have to be tech startup. So the Startup Resource Center is about Good. entrepreneurialism startups. Two, you don't have to be a Las Vegas or Nevada startup. And the, the implication nice. is that I'm starting a company and I want to interact with the economy. I want to maybe have remote employees. I want to be able to come there and have innovation sprints at your fusion center that, uh, that Zach Miles came up with. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, yeah. No, so, so the interface, it's an interface, it's a public interface to our startup uh, facilities, resources, abilities, capabilities, innovation hub, nature. But I think it's a missing piece that, um, you know, nobody said I couldn't do it. And entrepreneurs need to point at things and say, <laughs> I'm going to fix that. So that's the I motivation. I have, I have, so I had a whole bunch of things to continue if we were going to go for another five hours. But uh, I will <laughs> ask you just one last question for your okay. thoughts. Yes, sir. I know, I know you, I don't know how you can talk about how you identified the people you did actually meet on one on one and roundtables and, and meetup groups when you were here. And by the way, you've said we a lot since I last mentioned it. So I think you're moving here. I think that's pretty much confirmed. You heard it here first. <laughs> So what you do you help think? me with housing? <laughs> yeah. I, respond, just answer Evelyn's email and you're happy. You. Yeah. yeah. I'm just teasing you. Go on. No, no, no. Uh, so aspirational entrepreneurs. So it's something we just talked about recently. Uh, also is there's, you have your, I'm an entrepreneur, things like housing, things like access to capital, things like, I don't know how to start, start up resource center. Um, there's a lot of things that I think might prevent an aspirational entrepreneur from actually pulling the trigger, if you will. So, cause we love guns here. So <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Jokes. They're just, just jokes. Uh, so how do you account? Did you account for that? Did you, did you like identify entrepreneurs that are, that called self-identified or like, like, so a, how did you gather the group of people that you, you or your, your, uh, tagger team spoke to and, and gathered the insights? And then what do you, how do you think, aspirational entrepreneurialism fits into this. Obviously we want to enable it, but what do you think? And then we that's can, a, that's a really we'll big a question. That's a big question. So so when you say aspirational entrepreneurs, are you referring to what I would say are nascent entrepreneurs, people that haven't started yet but want to? Is that what you mean by that? I, I mean that, but also one step earlier, which is I think I want to, but I don't know if I can. I don't know where to start. I so I have. I, I told the story uh, before we started recording about my mom with the the mm. childcare thing. If yeah. my mom had said, "I don't know if I can start this," she would have been an aspirational. She was nascent because she said, "I am going to start this," and then she did start it. So, so I think there's one step back from nascent, which is like, I don't know what to do, but I, I think I want to do it. If I if that makes sense. Sure, it does, and I think I think we're talking culture there. Because we, yeah, we have to shift. Yeah. I, and I, and I, to that point, you know, we spent four generations teaching people to shut up and watch the time clock. Yes. Don't question authority. And so I think the, to have come as far as we have in 23 plus years in helping communities and people say, I can and I want to. And um, I think some of the, the good movements that are emerging nationwide, for example, um, the right to start movement that was launched by Victor Wang, who used to be with the Kauffman Foundation. He says, we're all starters. We all have an opportunity to start. And, the, and it begins with giving and empowering people 
with the the knowledge they can and they should. And then, of course, totally from that yeah. follows all of the resources and services that folks need, including capital, technical assistance, et cetera. Sure. Um, in terms of um, logistics, in terms of how did we find the people that we served, um, the way that I do this good work is by I first start with a group of interviews. So I will go to service provider partners. I went to the SBDC, I went to LBGEA, <clears throat> Startup Nevada, Startup Las Vegas, um, UNLV and others and said, um, tell me tell me who I should be interviewing in your organization. And then as I began interviewing those people, we asked them, who do you know that's doing uh, a startup? Who do you know that's doing a technology startup? Who do you know that's doing a retail startup? Who do you know that is a, a Latina uh, business owner who's starting a company? And from there, we asked um, all of our interviewees, like, where do you go? Where do you connect? How do you connect? What's the value of those connections? And from that, I learned about Tech Alley. I learned about Startup Weekends, One Million Cups, sure. um, all the different things that are happening. So we use a very organic, um, kind of rather like our entrepreneurs do. Yes, to understand uh, what's happening exactly. in the ecosystem yes. and then be responsive. And so that's why I had, um, I, I, it's been, it's just been amazing to me. Like the people that we have met, I can't tell you that, I, one morning, just one quick story. I went one morning. I went, um, I went to the uh, breakfast that Elizabeth Lopez hosts um, at the Innovation Center downtown, right? Yeah. And there I met um, 500.co, uh, two guys, CFO, and I'm not sure what um, John's role is, but I met them. Um, I scheduled an interview with them. They are global global venture capitalists who are doing amazing work. Um, and they're working with, you know, Saudi Arabian princesses and entire countries in helping them build out ecosystem building. So I had that phone conversation and then a Zoom call with them. I met them in person, had a Zoom call. That afternoon, I was invited by the uh, local SBDC to attend a Hispanic festival. I went into some crazy place in the far side of Las Vegas um, up on the third floor of a building where like 40 people were there. They were singing, dancing. There was food. There was um, songs. There was business being done. There were partnerships being created. I didn't understand one word of Spanish. And so it was all, it was all visceral for me. And then I had a translator of, uh, um, among the, the SBDC person that brought me, bless her heart, she was so sweet. Um, and she translated for me with multiple entrepreneurs about why are you in business? What are the barriers that you face? What is it like being in business in Las Vegas? And the, you know, the, the contrast is just amazing. But the, the magic was exactly the same. Uh, okay. Um, and actually I, uh, I would have, because the, the whole entire reason that I reached out to you in the beginning was I saw that you were going to be at the, the entrepreneurial breakfast that Liz Lopez does have. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I was going to be there. However, I was actually, uh, in another part of the, the city to having a meeting about our startup in the box component of the startup resource center, which is essentially everything you need to get started when you get here. Nice. And so, so unfortunately I was, uh, I had to pick Mo or startup in a box. And that's the way it went. Yeah. But, it's kind of not always works. So I just got to tell yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did. I, I have heard, I have no recollection myself, but I believe we did meet briefly at, at a, and I'm totally busting balls, Tech Alley. We did. <laughs> we did. Out in the, know, out in the courtyard. And I yeah. said, oh my gosh, you're Dan. I didn't get yes. to meet you. And you said, yes. And then I reached out later and said, hey, can we meet up? And we couldn't I, make it happen. And I was so disappointed. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I mean, like the same reason I couldn't meet you at uh, at the breakfast was there's I got my ca- my calendar is ridiculous. But you're busy. We, you're busy doing the good work that you yeah. do. Every day. That's well, right. And I think I think that's part. So I mean, the reason I used to be the Intel guy, so everybody knew me. That was ridiculous. But um, yeah, the reason that people know what's going on is because some people are celebrated for celebrity, others are celebrated for action. Dave Berlin is one of the busiest people I've ever met, and he's only adding more things to his his uh, list. And by the way. Um, I I don't want to pick on you too much, but I there was not a lot of veteran mention in the the report. The veteran has a huge veterans have a huge community here. If you say Jason, you see you say Lester. These are these are names they don't even need a last name. People know who they are. You know, I think that um, was an omission. Uh, that was an omission. I'll call you out on that one. Well, it wasn't an omission. You know, I'm not sure that it was. And I I and don't 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 okay. get me wrong. I am I am. Um, I've I've run veteran support entrepreneurship programs. I'm not saying you're um, anti-veteran, but I, I think not, they're important. Not, okay, not continue, even, continue, not even, yeah. and I don't, and I'm not trying to overlook them. But let me let me tell you this: the okay. people that I met with that were veterans did not identify first as a veteran, second as an entrepreneur. The people that I met that were veterans were entrepreneurs first. And if it came up that they were a veteran, it was like it was another benefit or they were participating in a program that was for veterans. And so I knew um, that they were veterans. There are 122,000 veterans in Nevada, or excuse me, in Las Vegas. There are 230, 240,000 in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, And they serve, you know, they have, they have terrific, terrific um, opportunity to impact the economy. But if you really want to talk about overlooked populations, we should be talking about Native Americans. Oh, absolutely. We didn't, yeah, that, we didn't that, have the bandwidth. Yeah, 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 we yeah. did not have the bandwidth with the amount of time that we had and the amount of this contract to be able to get into the tribes. I have done a lot of work with tribes in the past. I'm from um, my, you know, a lot of my career was spent in Iowa, and we have multiple tribes in my state. And I can tell you, um, it's complicated. It's complex. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a group that is so wholly disadvantaged that their disadvantages are on par with the homelessness nature of many of our veterans. And so I think I think there are multiple segments of the of the population in Nevada that we didn't get to in this report that we should have, and we we just didn't have the bandwidth. But that doesn't mean that we can't this this was just the beginning there's so much good work oh, to yeah. be done and i yeah. think i think those are two areas where we need to be putting money time and energy to understand and then raise up individuals that can contribute in ways that maybe we can't even imagine yet if we simply empower them with things like bandwidth with um you know really good resources that are, that, that allow for the kinds of needs that they uniquely have and that's part and parcel i think of the good work that comes from all of you champions in nevada going mm-hmm. forward uh I'll, i'm wrapping it up but i'll, I'll say that uh, i've spoken to that i mentioned jason lester and, and monica i don't know if you met monica she's extremely entrepreneurial the the message that they send from there we have insular communities so they're 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 not isolated insular they tend to support each other but and uh, it was we we need more support from this or that city yeah. agency whatever and it's we we all have to the community summit is the idea is to we need to talk more we need to cross pollinate yes. more yes and so I th- but the veterans community here is very strong and Lester does a lot of work with the veterans chamber of commerce and so I'm not saying you like uh, omitted them on purpose, but I think they are a bigger component than they let on maybe. So it's, it's something to think about. I mean, yeah, it's, could be, not, not an attack, not an argument, but I just oh, I no. want to shout out they're, they're an important part. Jason Leduc, especially he, he, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I would even give up my spot in your list because Jason does yeoman's work, connecting people. He's really on the ground, really, uh, 
a real mensch, if you like, if you like that word. Uh, I love that's that. A compliment. Well, you so. know, and I heard, I heard a lot of good things about Bunker Labs. Yeah. And that's um, and Berlin been, and other Yeah, shows. I've been Absolutely. to Bunker Labs in other parts of the country, um, Nashville in particular. Um, I didn't get a chance to visit anyone doing Bunker Labs here. Oh, um, so dear, really, you got to come back when you move. Yeah, here, we'll, I do. Uh, oh, I want to come back. I, I would love to come back. So well, somebody you're invite you're me. You're moving here. Yeah, you're Just here. Yeah, somebody in. invite me and I'll come. <laughs> come Friday. Friday is first Friday. Come down and we'll oh, have some God. food truck uh, action. Dan, thank right. you so much for I'm having me. I have to go. Yeah. yeah thank you for, uh, for joining. Yeah. Sorry. Grateful We're, for the time. Yeah. I'm grateful. I'm glad you, because we, you know, uh, my podcast is very young, but people are, are willing to take a chance. And uh, I hope we have good conversations that people can enjoy and learn from. So uh, thanks for taking the time yourself. And uh, obviously, I always invite people for part two and beyond. And I know you, the 12-month survival window is part of your your numbers reporting in the report. So uh, hopefully it won't be that long, but certainly Perfect. 12 years, 12 years, 12 months hence, we can see where things are. But anytime, anytime you're welcome to... Uh, we, we, we had a nice conversation before, so we can continue any part of that or whatever would have come after if you didn't have to head out and go to another call. So I love it. Thank you so much, Mo, for, uh, for joining in. And everybody read the report. I'll put a link in the show notes and we'll get it out there. And people, you should read it. At least page 55 to 76, if you're concerned about that. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much.